the catacombs. A city of the dead lies under the streets of Paris. Countless tunnels twist under the metropolis, lined with skulls and bones. Some in neat piles, others in geometrical patterns, yet others in heaps. It was Halloween, so we decided to give ourselves a scare. Halloween isn't as prominent in France as it is in the Anglophone countries, but it's growing. They have All Souls Day, where good Catholics visit cemeteries to pray over their dear departed. At the green kiosk at the catacombs entrance, I paid for my ticket. With nervous giggles and fear mingled with excitement, we descended the iron staircase down to the caverns of the dead. The catacombs entrance lies close to the Donfeu-Rochereau metro station. I went there with my friend Stephanie. We were teachers of business English. Stephanie was an Australian and I come from Atlanta, Georgia. Though I don't sound like I'm from Atlanta, apparently. I'd majored in French and Spanish at UCLA and was living in Paris for two years before I ever visited the catacombs. I knew of them, of course, but something held me back from going. It was Stephanie who said we should go. She'd been there before. She said it would really freak me out. So there we were on the narrow iron spiral stairs, hand on the rail, stepping carefully so we didn't trip and fall. From the bright sunlight of modern Paris, we descended into the dark of the past. Though the flesh must have long since rotted, the place was still somehow filled with the damp smell of death. When we got to the bottom, the bones around us were brown, broken and pitted and heaped in awful piles. They'd been dug up from the city's graveyards when land got expensive and people wanted to build houses. So they'd been stored here and were turned now into macabre tourist attraction. You can go with a guide, but we'd taken the cheaper option of navigating our own way. We were warned it was easy to get lost. I joked about leaving a trail of crumbs. Stephanie wasn't listening to my jokes. She was too wired being down there. Switch your flashlight off. I've got the candles, said Stephanie in her sunny drawl. Like all Australians, she liked doing crazy things. I was more hesitant. You sure? Of course, it'll make it really spooky. It's already spooky enough for me. But she wouldn't listen. She rode roughshod over my fear. We lit a candle each and switched off the flashlights. The flames flickered in the breeze that blew down the tunnel while shadows danced in the empty eye holes of a thousand skulls. I knew I was being stupid, but I couldn't help the shudder that ran down my spine. Stephanie was killing herself, laughing. Follow me, Scooby-Doo. She set off through the labyrinth of tunnels. She had the map, so I had to keep up with her. It was cold. I'd expected it to be warm somehow, even though it was October. The atmosphere was eerie and very heavy somehow. The fluttering candlelight made the bones seem to move all around us. We were walking so fast that the flame guttered and I had to shield it with my hand. Stephanie abruptly stopped and peered at the map by the light of her candle. This way I think. I raised my eyebrow. You think. You only think. I didn't like this. It's fine. Just a tiny bit lost. It's easy to get lost down here. 
I had a strange sense of foreboding. I want to go back. Just calm down, said Stephanie. I can navigate in the Australian bush so I can sure find my way through some smelly French tunnels. Then she pointed, apparently at random. This way. I followed her as she haired off. There was a movement of air down the passage in front. I had to race to give up with her. Because I was going so fast, the candle flame flickered and went out. Hey, wait up, I called. In the dark ahead, she shouted, Hurry up, Laura. At first, I could see her silhouette and her dancing candle, but then she turned round and I could see nothing. I shouted, I can't see you. Come back. I struggled to get the flashlight out of my bag. I wished I'd kept it in my hand. I could see nothing as I scrabbled in the impenetrable dark. Then I stopped and stared. Behind me was a light, but it wasn't the warm yellow light of a candle or even the beam of a flashlight. It was a cold light, luminous, white and fearful like the luminescence that comes off dead things. I backed away, but it grew brighter, condensing into a shape in front of my eyes. It was a girl of about 17 who had a thin, sad face, big green eyes and yellow hair. I could see right through her. Stephanie found me standing there shaking. The flashlight was in my hand, but I hadn't turned it on. What's up? She said. I just want to get out of here. I didn't tell her what I'd seen. Okay, spoil sport, she said. Using the map, we managed to find our way back to the stairs. She obviously knew there was something wrong with me, but I wasn't in the mood for talking. I knew what I'd seen, but how could I believe it? scared me. I went back to my one-room apartment in Ote. I sat and poured a glass of wine from the cheap supermarket plastic bottle I'd bought on the way back. I tried to read, but I couldn't concentrate. My mind kept returning to that silent figure in the catacombs. I was scared of her, but I felt sorry for her and I dreamed up some romantic fiction about her being a girl who'd gone down there and got lost. I had the wacky idea I could help her, but then I told myself to get a grip. I put my book down. I wasn't reading it anyway. Then I turned on the TV and after flicking through some channels, turned it off again. To distract myself from these weird thoughts, I picked up a pen and some paper and started to write a letter back home to my mother. As I held the pen, My hand started to shake. My hand twitched as if there was some electricity inside it, and then as I watched, horrified, the pen began to write on its own. It spelled out an address. Rue des Prairies, 47B. I threw down the pen and stared at it on the floor as if it might start moving on its own, but it lay there still as dead as roadkill. The electricity had gone from my hand, and I was alone again. Something wanted me to go to that address. I hardly slept that night, keeping my eyes on the door as if the girl's ghost might come through it at any time. At first light I got up, it was Sunday, and outside my window the street was deserted. I got dressed and made my way down the stone staircase and let myself out. Rue des Prairies was in the east part of the city. I took the metro and got off at Place Gambetta, the nearest station, and I walked down the street to number 47. It was a fairly ordinary building. There was a column of bell pushes with names written in various colors of ink alongside them. 
47B belonged to someone called Ero. But I was still far too early to visit, so I went to a cafe and ordered a cappuccino and a croissant. At nine o'clock, I went back and pressed the bell. A voice said, Hello? In French, I said, Hello, my name's Laura Richards. I'm an English teacher. I wonder if I could speak to you. The voice sounded suspicious. What do you want? I paused for a long time. I know this sounds crazy, but I think I saw a ghost in the catacombs. I also think he wanted me to come here. My voice was shaking. I expected her to tell me to get lost. Come up. I heard a buzz as she opened the door. 47B was to the left of the main entrance hallway. My heart pounded as I knocked on the door, not knowing what to expect. Why had she invited me in? I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have invited up a freaky stranger who came talking about ghosts. A young woman opened it straight away. Standing there in her dressing gown was a sad-looking girl with red hair and green eyes. She was identical to the ghost. I drew my breath in sharply. Quietly, she said, You look frightened. No, no, I stammered. It's just that you look... She tilted her head to one side. I know, I just look like her. She was my twin sister. She made me a cup of coffee as I sat on her sofa. This is so strange, I said. You're not the first. Margarita appears to anyone she thinks will be sympathetic. She told me that her twin sister had died three years ago in the catacombs from an asthma attack. They both suffered from asthma, but that day her sister Margarita had forgotten her medication. She'd been with a girlfriend, so that maybe explained why she'd appeared to me. Mary sat down in the chair opposite me and watched me drinking my coffee. So, you see, it's sad, but uh, nothing to get alarmed about. I finished the coffee and got up. The girl smiled, but without emotion. As I walked through the door, I glanced back. She was staring at me. Walking back to the metro, I thought a modern ghost story, a curious but inconsequential mystery. But still, I felt there was something unresolved, as if there were secrets yet to penetrate. On my way back home, I was still so bothered about Marie's story that I made a diversion and called into one of the big public libraries. I got a CD of all the articles that appeared in Paris Soir for the year Marie's sister had died. I searched for Marguerite Hérault, and sure enough, there was the tragic story of a 17-year-old girl who died from an asthma attack in the catacombs. That was it. I ejected the disc and got up. But something still nagged me. So I put the CD back in and found the name of the journalist who'd written the piece. I then got the telephone number for Paris Soir and phoned her. She remembered the event very clearly. Yes, so terrible thing, so young. What's your interest if you don't mind me asking? I hesitated. I know her sister. Her voice changed. No, that, that can't be. I'm, I'm sorry, why not? I saw her sister only this morning. No, no, Marguerite was an only child. That's why it was so hard on the parents. Marie came to me in my dreams that night. I tried to ask her what had really happened, who her sister really was, but she wouldn't reply. All she did was hold up a skull in her hands, and I knew she wanted me to go back to the catacombs. I waited at a cafe on the Place d'Enfant Rochereau till about half an hour before the catacombs were due to close. 
The shops and cafes around the square were draped with witches and goblins. Tonight was Halloween. I checked my watch. It was time. I finished my cold coffee with a gulp, then got up and went over to the kiosk. I bought my ticket. A man with a tired, creased face sold me a ticket and looked at me oddly. There was a special tour later on for Halloween, but I'd be finished by then. I suppose not many young women choose to go to that place on their own. I got to the top of the spiral staircase and waited. I was nervous. I felt it in my throat, but this was a mystery I needed to solve. For the sake of my own sanity, if for nothing else. The temperature dropped with every clanging step I took down. The smell of old death coated me like damp dust. Then I was at the bottom. I walked about fifty yards into the labyrinth, turned down a corner away from the orderly rows of skulls and into a place where long bones had been piled carelessly out of sight. I waited there, switching off my flashlight until my nerves would bear it no longer and I had to turn it back on for a second. In the light, the skulls backed off and stopped moving, but when I flicked off my flashlight again, my imagination brought them leering forward. I looked at my watch. The catacombs were now officially closed. I waited, and I knew she would come. A soft, quiet glow grew to the right of me, and I turned and saw Marguerite's red hair and sad green eyes. In a voice that sounded like a dry wind through a forest of bones, empty and pleading, she said, Save me. How can I save you? What must I save you from? But only the faint whispering voice came again. Save me. Then I heard footsteps behind me. Quiet, deliberate steps, but light like the tread of a young woman. Marguerite began to drift away, glow fading. A terrible sadness filled me. She thought I'd failed her. The footsteps came closer. There was no doubt, but they were heading for me. Unhurried and precise. In the darkness, whoever it was knew where I was. I moved out from where I was lurking, back into the main corridor, and then turning, I saw dead Marguerite's double, her doppelganger, her place-taker, Marie. I knew the doppelganger had come for me. It had lured me down into the halls of bones, and I realized that by pretending to be Marguerite's non-existent sister, it had fooled me into thinking I was helping somehow. My heart went crazy. My throat was dry. If it caught me here, it would kill me and take my place, stripping the soul from my body and leaving me lost like Marguerite. I panicked, but instead of running away into the maze of tunnels where it would surely find me, some instinct made me run at it. It hadn't expected that and it started back. It bought me seconds. I ran past it, down the corridor to the stairs and leapt up them. The door at the top was locked and I hammered on it. It came to the bottom of the stairs, lips drawn back over white teeth, 
looking at me hungrily. There was the sound of a key turning in the door. It started to climb the stairs, grabbing at my leg. I hurled my flashlight at it and struck it heavily in the face, and it backed off, snarling into the darkness below. But then, it started up again. It moved quickly, sinuously, like some kind of reptile. I pushed myself against the exit door, hammering. It was nearly at me now. The ticket collector opened the door behind him was an astonished crowd of Halloween revelers in costume. The man looked astounded. At the sight of all those people, the doppelganger fled down back into the dark. The ticket man was frowning. You are fortunate, mademoiselle, that we have a special party here tonight. Otherwise, you would have had to spend the night among the bones. I pushed my way back through the door and through the amazed crowd, not speaking. They just stared at me. The ticket collector yelled at me as I left. There's nothing to be frightened of down there, just old bones. I couldn't stay in Paris. I packed up and was gone within the week. That was months ago, and I now work as a tourist guide in Savannah, but... I can only sleep in snatches, by daylight or with the light on. It's not for me that I am frightened. I'm a long way from Paris, but I can't rest. Because I know that in the dark netherworld of bones and spirits that lies under Paris, the doppelganger waits for another victim. Nobody will believe me, but I know it's waiting for another innocent victim. Another girl like me.